Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Good morning, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall on Coming Up for Air here with my co-host, Dominique Simone Levine. Hi, Dominique. Good morning, everyone. And good morning. We have Kayla Solomon. How are you this morning, Kayla? I'm good, Laurie. Good morning. Today, I'm going to hand it over to Dominique. Uh, Dominique, why don't you introduce our topic for today? I'm interested in hearing, and I think our audience would be too, about techniques for de-escalating conflict, both with communication and perhaps with our, ourselves, removing ourselves, that sort of thing. I'm concerned about always when we're dealing with some folks with addiction and the possibility of danger. And I think when we talk, especially in terms of intimate partners, where one is having an issue with addiction and the other one is trying to do craft, we want to be very careful of the risk of danger in that. Um, the person with addiction may not have been known to you as dangerous, but you never know. They take a new drug. They can't find their drug. They're incredibly irritated and frustrated, and they do something they've never done before. So if you are someone with a loved one with addiction that you know has the potential of being physically violent, as we have said before, and as we say on our site, this is not the work for you. Craft is not the work for you. You need domestic violence help first. You need to take care of the potential of being hurt first. And we have all those online numbers and sites for you on our site. You are probably, though, used to being verbally abused, right? Because most everyone who loves someone with addiction is in that group, and so welcome. And since you've been verbally abused, we think it's really important that you still you learn these de-escalation techniques to pull yourself, back yourself out of emerging conflicts. You don't want to fight. Kraft says put down the fight, put down that negative talk, try and connect, reach out. But what happens when that backfires and you find yourself in a situation that's escalating, you see it, and now how do you respond? So there are some responses, ways of communicating that craft suggests. And Lori, you're used to doing this a lot with parents. So maybe from the standpoint of a parent and Kayla, I thought perhaps intimate partnerships are extremely complicated and applying de-escalation to, to a conversation that's going wrong in a and an intimate partnership would be interesting also to hear perhaps craft applied to that. So I'm going to jump in because there's a couple of thoughts that I had when I'm listening to you. This is Kayla, and I'm, I want to talk about the intimate partners. The one complicating factor I think that makes intimate partnerships different than parental relationships is the dependence issue of finances, the entanglement piece of finances, of parenting, of 
the house or the place that you live where there's there's a, a kind of enmeshment of your life with somebody where it's not so simple for them to detangle things. Like I see this a lot with people even who are divorcing. You can't even go on with a divorce if the other person's not cooperating. You know, you want to sell a house you need consent for lots and lots of things from the other person. So it gets very, very complicated when your life is financially entangled with another human being and you're dependent on them or merged with them financially and with parenting roles. So I think that is the the top level difference that it's not so simple just to like kick somebody out or become estranged from them in any way. It's like, how do you work with somebody so that your logistical needs get met as well. So that's one factor I just want to differentiate. The other thing is that there's different aspects of communication that I think about. Number one is body language and tone. There's the actual words that we speak is one thing. But I think what happens is that often we don't notice our tone. We don't notice our body language. And in the process of learning these skills, you want to start attending to how you're reacting. And as I say over and over again, if you're communicating with anxiety, then you're going to be escalating. And that's a reactive place. Okay, and people respond to your reactivity. It's very hard to communicate with somebody who's reactive, even if you're the one who's reactive. So. The way I like to think of it is number one tool is how do you calm yourself down in some form or another? Okay, there's this children's song where it's like, if you're angry, if you're upset, then count to 10 and breathe. And I feel like whatever tool you could use to to not respond immediately is a good use of your resources. So that's number one. Number two is and this is the really hard one is not to take things personally. And we talk about this all the time, but this is, I think, the place that people really have the hardest time because it does feel personal. They're mentioning your name. They're talking about the things that you do. They're triggering your own feelings about, you know, how you did not do as well as you could have done or what's your part in this situation. And what I'm going to tell you is if you take it personally, If they're throwing things at you and the way I think of taking it personally, it's like it's like having arrows pierce you like they're saying things and you're being shot by arrows. It's not useful in any way to to take the style. And in Imago relationship therapy, which is what I'm certified in, what we talk about is if somebody is coming at you with anger, you put up a plexiglass wall. You could see them. You could hear them. But you're protected. You want to be protected in some form, because if you if there's a wall in between and you're not being pierced, it's more the way I think about it is that I'm a witness to this. I'm not a participant. I'm actually watching the person so that I get to decide what I'm going to do. So I'm I'm much more externally focused than internally. So it's like, that's interesting that that this is what's happening. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And I'm looking at what the person is saying as data. So that's just another way to look at this as opposed to this is so true. And oh my God, they're right. And I'm getting triggered with shame and blame. Shame and blame is part of this cycle of addiction. And if I'm not coming from that place, I have more choices that I can use. If I'm sucked into this shame and blame cycle, I lose my power. So that's the taking a personally piece. And then the third piece is my absolute 
number one tool. And I have used this when I was working in dangerous situations at work. I've used it in my relationship. I've used it with my kid. I teach people this every day in their very heated relationships because nobody comes to couples counseling if everything's great. The couples that walk into my room are not happy. (laughs) And this, I have witnessed unbelievable changes with people doing this. And that is you start by mirroring. So you're basically going to repeat back what the person is saying. You're making sure that you got it right. If they correct you, you repeat it in the new way that they tell you. You summarize what they say. And then the most important thing is the validation piece, which is it makes sense. So what you're doing is you're not agreeing with the person. You're basically just describing what they just told you that makes sense to you. So the example that I like to give is there's a summary piece that I just mentioned briefly, but okay. So I just listened to somebody and I've been mirroring them. And the summary that I would be doing is, okay, so today when I was 20 minutes late and it was raining and you were standing out there and I was supposed to pick you up and I didn't call you, you felt like I was, I didn't care about you, that I put my work first, that I'm inconsiderate, that I'm selfish, and I'm a workaholic, and I'm obsessed with work. That's basically the summary of what the person just told me. Then here's the validation piece. It makes complete sense to me then when you were standing for 20 minutes outside in the rain that you would feel like I didn't care about you. It makes sense to me that you would feel like I put my work first. It makes sense to me that you would feel like I'm inconsiderate. That makes complete sense to me because I didn't call you and you were waiting for me for 20 minutes. That's the validation piece. I am not going to say the truth, which is I hit traffic, my phone battery died, which is what we always do. This is why I did the thing that got you upset. That doesn't help. Explaining yourself does not help. The person is looking for validation. And these are all de-escalation techniques because the thing that works about mirroring with somebody that's upset is the reason that people escalate is they feel like you're not hearing them or you don't understand them. So the techniques that we're teaching are they feel heard and they feel understood on some level. And that calms people down. And literally, I have walked in to what felt like hostage situations. And I use these techniques and I've watched somebody go from a 10 out of 10 to a one and calm down almost immediately because they feel like I'm present. I hear them. I care about them, which is the craft model. I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to hold the space for you, but I am also not going to get sucked in. I love this. And what you just described to me, Kayla, I know you're talking about like those love relationships or partner relationships. And just by happenstance, we're working on reflective listening in the rest meetings. And an example came up, a mom spoke up this week about not a difficult conversation that she's been having with her loved one with SUD, but with another adult child. And we role-played. I had her being her own daughter and I was playing her part. And we did the reflective listening because she was like struggling. How are we, you know, how do I do this? And her, the first words out of her mouth were, she starts blaming me and shaming me and telling me it's my fault. And the first thing we tackled, we talked about was not taking it personally. (laughs) 
that how can you how can you just kind of respond back to that, but sit back and listen, 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 and validate that stuff and not take it on yourself. And so we did this role playing and it went on for quite a while and we stuck to it, stuck to it, stuck to it. And it was amazing because she went from being really intense to by the end of it, she was repeating herself over and over again and saying the same thing, but it was dying down. It was just like, because the response back to her was like, in the end, it was like, yeah, it makes sense to me that you would be frustrated with that. And, you know, and then it was like, okay, where do we go with it? And perfect example of how it just kind of fizzles out using reflective listening before we move on with that. So that's an example of the exact same thing we're talking about between an adult child and a parent and with a love relationship. And I do agree, there's lots of, in that love relationship scenario, there's a lot of other factors that really come into play that you don't have with a parent and adult child, like living in the same space and really you're not hosting the other person. You're in this relationship and in this, how you own the house together or you pay the rent together or whatever it is. But just a few things I'm hoping you'll you'll kind of clear up. The first thing is, is you said when someone's throwing daggers at you, you mean the verbal assault and not not like not actual arrows. Yeah, yeah. I want to make that clear, right? That that's <laughs> what we're talking about. If somebody's throwing arrows at you, I suggest you leave the room. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to put up the plexiglass shield. No, if somebody's actually physical, we're not talking about physical. And ironically, with the Imago relationship theory, that's the same criteria that we're talking about for craft. If it's physically violent, this is not what we're talking about. Because then you're in a domestic violence situation. Safety comes first. There's no negotiating with somebody who is a physically violent human being. You need to get out. And then the other thing is, can you just quickly kind of tell us the relationship between reflective listening and imago therapy? We call it the intentional dialogue. As far as I know, it's the same format. It's just spelled out differently. So what happens is that when somebody speaks you're repeating back what they're saying verbatim, no interpretation. You're not using your own tone. You're not being dismissive. You're just a flat mirror as opposed to the funhouse mirror. You're not throwing in all these other detailed information that you know from about them or that you would add, or as I like to say, editorializing. Yeah, yeah. And the reason that you're feeling this is because of, you know, that you got hurt in high school. It's like, unless they said that, it's out of bounds. But the other thing that we do in Imago, and you could look it up online, it's Imago Relationship Therapy. But the format is that when you're mirroring, you're saying, okay, so let me see if I got that. And you repeat back what they say. And you say, did I get that right? Because you want to also see, because a lot of times, even if you're repeating it back verbatim, the other person is hearing themselves for the first time. And so they might not like the way you're saying it, or they might think you got one word wrong you then repeat it back the way you're being corrected and don't take that personally. It's just more clarification of the, the work. But the other thing is that we also add in, is there more about that? 
for two reasons. One is that it encourages the person to keep talking, which to me is the goal. You don't want to just shut people up. You want people to talk, especially if they're upset, because then the more they talk, the more that you know what's actually going on. And the more you actually, they get it out, the, the calmer they get. So you're encouraging is to them, is there more about that? And then they keep talking. And, and in Imago, the, what we're hoping to teach people who are the speakers is to actually just talk about that one thing and not go through everything you've ever done wrong, because that's a waste of time. That's not the expectation we have of our loved ones. But what I wanted to respond also, Lori, is you said that she kept repeating herself. That's what happens. But if somebody's repeating themselves and then you're repeating what they're saying, they start to hear that they're repeating themselves. That's what I love about this. It's like, because it, in ordinary conversation, what I hear people say all the time is, you already said that. You already said that. Or they say, I know, you said that already. You said that, you said that. And if you want somebody to be enraged with you, say one of those two things. I heard you, you already said that. You already said that, you're repeating yourself. And when people do that to me, I want to kill them. So it is not a good tool. So to me, it's like, if somebody's repeating themselves, I'm repeating them, repeating themselves. And on top of it, while we were having this exchange and I would repeat back to this mom what she had said, I watched her face and she would every single time after I said what I said, she would stop and think. And I'm like, oh, she's hearing everything that's coming out of my mouth. So she's hearing what she's saying. Exactly. She has to think about her next. Rec- I'm telling you, it was it was fantastic. And it only lasted. I want to say it was probably three minutes, but it could have gone on and on. And I was like, I'm just going to sit here and repeat back everything that she says and it just lost all of its fire. Well, but listen to what you said, because that's the key with this listening piece, which is that when people are upset, they don't hear themselves. It's like having somebody like throw this bucket of water on you and they just want you to get it. They want you to get what they're saying. So they flood they flood you because they are so upset and they want you to see how upset they are. And what I find is that what the re, what this reflective listening does is it allows people to hear themselves. They allow themselves to feel heard. And I this is where to me that we're, we're in the process of providing treatment <laughs> because what do therapists do? They listen to you. They don't react to you. They're not putting their own personal stuff into your stuff, hopefully. And, and so when you're doing this as a loved one, whether you're a parent or a partner or whatever, you're actually allowing the person to begin their processing. And also, I think if you start doing this, it's very embarrassing to the person who's trying to be mean to hear themselves. And so I love that part. It's like, oh, OK, and then they get quiet. And, you know, you know, it was interesting about this particular interaction, too, was at the start of the interaction, the argument was that, no, I'm not bothered by your feelings. And then by the time we got to the very last sentence, the mom who was playing the part of the daughter said something to the effect of your feelings are driving me crazy. <laughs> And it was like, oh, so my feelings are impacting you, right? And it was like completely full circle. And actually, the individual then starts to recognize that maybe 
What you're denying is actually happening. What who's denying? So what the daughter was denying, how do I describe this? It was the daughter and the mom, right? So she was playing her daughter. I was playing the mom. What the daughter was denying in the beginning of the conversation by the end, which it wasn't really, it was reflective listening by the end of it, what the daughter was denying, she was now admitting to and saying it out loud. And when I repeated it back to her, it was like this realization that everything that she was denying in the beginning, she was now admitting to. So I guess the way I would do it, I would frame it, which I think is the really important thing to do here is what we're doing is slowing down time. Okay, which I feel like is one of the number one tools of craft is that we're slowing things down. And if you slow things down, people have an opportunity to shift. They have an opportunity to process. They have an opportunity to think. If we get in it with them and we're doing the back and forth fighting and bickering and whatever, nobody has a chance to think and everybody walks away feeling bad. And that's my number one reason to do this is because I don't want to feel bad. And so when I do this, I always walk away feeling better no matter what I heard. And sometimes I'm hearing things, by the way, I think this is really fascinating. When you're listening to somebody and they are coming at you, sometimes the data that they're, you're getting is actually true. You are nosy, you are intrusive, you are controlling. And so when I'm hearing that in this slower, this slow down process of reflective listening, I'm actually taking that in from a different place. It's not like, no, no, this is about you. No, this is about you. I have a part in this. And so when I'm listening in that way, I get to think, oh my God, I am being controlling. I am really anxious. I am obnoxious. I am like intrusive. And that's like, okay. Then the conversation ends. Hopefully they got a little insight. And then I have to walk away and think, okay, if that's what I'm doing and I don't want to do that, why am I doing this? Why am I acting this way? And how do I shift that? How do I change? So that's what I'm left with as opposed to, I hope this person changes. I hope they stop using. I hope they go to the program. I hope they do this. I need to focus on my part and really work on my part because I'm getting feedback. And if I really want to be respectful of this process, I have to take that feedback in just like I'm hoping they take what I've said in and really work on myself. So what I'm hearing is that reflective listening not only allows the person who's speaking, it gives them the opportunity to stop and think, but it also gives the person that is doing the listening and the reflecting back an opportunity to listen. And if the person that is listening can just kind of put this barrier around themselves, maybe put themselves in a bubble that this is actually to not take it personally, because I find that once I get into reflective listening mode, I really am not about myself. I really have to try and listen because I forget what they're saying. So I have to, I have to really pay attention. And when I do that, it actually does help me to not take it personally and validating things. I know this sounds crazy, but I, in my experience, and it's only my experience, I tend to start really hearing what it is that I'm doing. 
And I think that's basically what you're saying here, Kayla, that it gives me the opportunity to recognize the kind of things I'm throwing into the mix to make it a little bit more complicated and to not help kind of de-escalate and have a constructive discussion with someone. Right. So it would be like, it makes sense that you think I'm controlling. It makes sense that when I'm like tracking your phone or if I'm asking you 20 times where you're going or... I get mad at you or I tell you 20 times to do the dishes that you would think I'm controlling or obnoxious or anxious. That makes sense. That's just true. So then it's like, oh, that's interesting. And again, I you know, I love these two words, which is the curiosity and fascination. Curiosity and fascination are two spacious words. If I'm curious and fascinated, then I'm not in my like soul-breaking, heartbreaking, oh, you're hurting me place. I'm in this more open, interested, curious place, which allows me to process differently. And by the way, when I was listening to you, Laura, I was thinking to myself that part of what this does is it does help calm your system down because you cannot be jacked up and do this. You can't be hijacked. You can't be agitated and stay agitated and do it. You could start out agitated, but then you're like, okay, chill out here. Because if you're agitated, you have point counterpoint in your head. They're telling you, oh, you told me 20 times to do the dishes. And you're thinking, well, if you had just done the dishes, I wouldn't have told you 20 times. This is what we do in our head. If I'm mirroring that second thought doesn't, I don't get to have that thought because it's distracting. So this is the meditation process. It's like, oh, nope. And I might have to say, well, okay, say that again. And then I'm like, basically, I'm telling my brain, shut up, because you can't do this if you're talking to me. It's like having this obnoxious voice in my head. So I'm like, just listen. The most important thing I'm doing, the most healing thing I'm doing is listening. And remember, it is an activity that you're doing. It is not nothing. People think, oh, I'm just listening. Oh, my God. Number one, top 10 healing tool is to listen in this way. Totally agree. Dominique, you want to say something? I just want to uh, spend a minute before we close on what happens when it doesn't work, which, you know, I'm famous for coming in irritated and then just getting worse. So this business of not being irritated and not and trying to be calm is huge, a huge thing to get and to hold through minutes and minutes and minutes of what you're describing potentially, especially if you have a talker. I mean, what you're describing works really well for people who tend to say very little and you're trying to encourage and encourage and repeat and repeat. If you have talkers who are disorganized in their mind and they're going every which way and, and you can't even keep track of the eight things they just told you you were and you're sensing yourself not calming down and in fact getting a little worse. So how do you back out? Here's a very important piece that I did not add is that you get to interrupt. If you're mirroring, you get to interrupt because you say, oh, hold up. I just want to make sure I got this. And you stop them and say, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I'm losing you. I want to make sure I got this. So hold up. And then you do the repeating. And it might be that you have to interrupt a lot, but you basically let the person know, if I can't repeat this back, then I'm not getting it. I want to make sure I get it. That's the most important thing to me. So that's why I'm interrupting you. Also, this, why are you repeating everything I said? No, 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 no. If they say this, like, listen, what you say, because I believe me, I've got this many times like, oh, you're doing that thing. It's not being a therapist, whatever. So I just say, look, what you're saying really matters to me. OK, and if I can't repeat it back, that means I'm not getting it. 
And I want to make sure that when I say it to you, I'm actually getting it. So you get the opportunity to correct me if I'm not getting it because I feel like I'm misinterpreting you. So I just want to clarify that I'm doing this because I know how important this is. I know what I've had to say is, you know what, I'm, we've been at it for a few minutes and I'm just wondering, I'm tired. Can we take a little break and, and um, maybe do this after lunch, come back to this after lunch? If it's not de-escalating, if you're finding yourself getting less calm as it goes on, best not to make an error and just bow out if you can. I often will say, add in another piece when you're bowing out, almost like you'll vow to come back to it. Because oftentimes I've noticed that people think you're abandoning the conversation completely. So I will say something like, you know what? I feel myself getting really tense. Could we just take a break? I promise I'll come back. Uh, We can come back and we can talk about it. But when I'm in a better spot and I do a lot of what Kayla does, because what you have to say is very important to me and I'm not getting it when I'm in this state right now. So what you do is you make it about you. It's like what you're saying is so important to me. And I feel like there's something going on with me and I need to just go take care of myself. But I want to do this. So is there a good time we could do it? So it's not just, oh, let's keep talking about this. It's an actual when you make the when. And even if they don't come back to that, they know that you're still holding the space. Right. And then you could go up to them and say, OK, I'm I'm back. Do you so do you want to talk about it? And they're going to say no. They're going to say no. Almost every time, almost every time they say no. I have just one more question. And then maybe we, maybe you could give us a quick summary, Kayla, and we wrap our conversation up. I hear this constantly. Well, if I'm validating something, then I think my loved one thinks that I agree with them. Oh, okay. So validation is not about they're right or you're right. Because I don't believe in right and wrong. I believe in different perceptions. Validation is about that you're validating their perception. Oh, that's all it is. There's no harm done. I've never seen anything bad happen from validating somebody's perception other than they feel more connected to you. But the, the question, and I literally had it this week where a mom was talking with her son and she was validating and the husband said, don't do that because now he thinks it's okay what he's doing. It sounds like that, but you're not saying, oh, you're right. Yeah, go do that. That's not the point. It's just, it makes sense that when you're withdrawing that you would feel this, this biological need to use. That makes sense to me. Do I want you to use? Of course not. I'm not going to say that, but, but it's, you're doing things for your own reasons. And in your world, that makes sense. I tried to say that, well, validation is really about thoughts and feelings. You're just validating that it makes sense to me that you would think that way, or it makes sense to me that you would feel that way. It has nothing to do with, and I agree. It has nothing to do with, and it's okay for you to go ahead and be late to work 50 million times and your boss should not yell at you. It doesn't mean that you're agreeing with the particular behavior. It just means that you have an understanding of why a person feels a particular way or is thinking a particular way. It's just their perception. You're validating their perception. When you understand somebody's world and their worldview, it actually allows them to feel closer to you. And it it opens up their world too for them to think outside of what's going on and to narrow down and help them to consider other options. And process differently. Yeah. All right, time for the summary. 
and, and let us know if you guys uh, get hired out. You can come to my house and. and <laughs> <laughs> Easier said than done. So basically, our topic today is how to de-escalate conflict. And there's several. I'm not going to go through every detail, but one of them is taking space. Another one is not taking things personally. Then there's the reflective listening piece of it. And also what makes things more complicated if you're in a partner marriage situation is the financial and logistical dependence that you have with that person. So that's the main shift of it, the main difference. And also all this is about is having more tools in your toolbox so that you actually get to feel spaciousness when things are escalating. Well, thank you again, ladies. Great conversation. And I hope our listeners enjoyed this topic today. And we will be back again next week. Have a good week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.